Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Amen and amen. And so, Father, we lift up a prayer today for the nations. We pray for this nation, the United Kingdom. We pray for the nations that some of us have come from, those of us who have come from other nations. We lift up before you Nigeria, Ghana, Congo. We lift up before you Zimbabwe, Kenya, South Africa, Sierra Leone, we lift up before you Eritrea. We lift up before you any nation that any one of us has originally come from. And for those who, are, who, who were born in this nation, who haven't come from any other nation, we, we especially lift up the United Kingdom. We pray for Europe, the nations of Europe. We pray for the United States of America. We lift up China to you. We lift up North Korea, where Christians are so severely persecuted for their faith. We lift up, oh God, the other countries in the world where Christians are persecuted just simply for loving the Jesus that we love. We ask, oh God, that your plans and purposes for the nations will come to pass, Heavenly Father, that no nation under this earth, for you said the boundaries of all nations. You are the ruler of all nations. And we declare that every nation will come to the point where it will accomplish your plans and your purposes, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen and Amen. Amen. We are encouraged to pray, to fast. And talking about fasting, the general overseer, has called the entire Redeemed Christian Church of God into a fast um, from the 3rd of November to the 2nd of December. I um, want to encourage you to join that fast. Never a time like this uh, for us to, to, to be fasting and praying. In addition to the turbulence all around the world, the world is facing uh, the consequences of a pandemic, um, the consequences of... of, of uh, global warming, and the list goes on and on and on. So prayer is the key for God's plans and purposes to come to pass. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Will you turn in your Bibles to Exodus, the 34th chapter? Exodus, the 34th chapter. Well, we know the background to uh, where I'm going. Uh, God had given instructions to Moses to come up to Mount Sinai and to bring two tablets of stone. Uh, he was going to give his word to be written on those tablets of stone because if you remember in anger when Moses came down from the mountain having been with God and saw the debauchery that was taking place in the camp as they worshipped the golden calf and engaged in all kinds of sexual immorality, Moses in anger had smashed the tablets that God had given him. So God wanted to replace those tablets, and wanted to really fellowship with Moses. And so he asked Moses to come up uh, and be with him uh, on Mount Sinai. And he came down and actually talked with Moses, fellowshiped with Moses. And Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days 
and 40 nights. He was fasting the entire 40 days and 40 nights. And if we pick up um, the narrative in the 29th chapter, Exodus 34 verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets of the testimony, he didn't know that the skin of his face glowed. I'm reading the message translation. Some translations will say shone, um, as, in, as in his face was shining. Um, some translations will say radiated, as in his face was radiant. But the message translation says, when he came down from Mount Sinai, carrying the two tablets of the testimony, he didn't know that the skin of his face glowed because he had been speaking with God. Because he had been speaking with God, he had had a physical transformation. His face, the skin of his face was glowing. It goes on to say, Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, saw his radiant face, and held back, afraid to get close to him. Father, we ask that you will breathe upon your word. Spirit of the living God, that you will give us revelation into the word of God that will transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are some words that don't need much explanation, and I think that word glow is one of those words. When someone says something is glowing, we tend to know instantly. We, in our minds, we imagine what that thing will be like, how it will be shining, how it will be beaming, how it will, it will be glinting, glimmering, how it will be radiating, how it will be sparkling, how there will be a twinkle around that thing, that object, or that person that is glowing. This was a remarkable incident. A man went up the mountain, a normal man. He spent 40 days and 40 nights with God. And by the time he came down from the mountain, a physical transformation had taken place. He was, his face was glowing so brightly that they had to put a veil over his face so that they could look at him. Now, there are a number of things that certainly as I read that scripture, the Lord laid on my heart, which I want to share with you. It's instructive to note that he was invited by God. It was God who initiated the process. Exodus 34 verses 2 and 3, it tells us that it was God who initiated the process. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai was God's invitation to him. And up he went, spending 40 days and 40 nights fasting during that period, hearing the voice of God, communing with God, in deep fellowship with God, receiving instructions from God about his covenant with the children of Israel. I think there are certain life lessons that we can learn from what happened to Moses and the transformation that took place. Because you see, his was a physical transformation, but it speaks to a total transformation, not just physically, but of our souls and our spirits when we are in the level of proximity that Moses was with God. 
So let me share a few things. Number one, God wants an intimate relationship with us. God invited him up the mountain. It was God who initiated the entire process by which he came up the mountain to spend time with him. God, this awesome, majestic God, this creator of the ends of the earth, this God that our minds struggle to fathom, this powerful God, all-knowing God, wants a personal and intimate relationship with you. He wants deep fellowship with you. The reason his son came to die was to restore the fellowship that he had with our original parents in the Garden of Eden. The Bible paints a picture of how he would come in the cool of the evening and spend time with our parents. It hasn't changed. That same God still desires a deep and intimate fellowship with you. It hasn't changed because the world has become a more modern place. No, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that God wants to have a deep and intimate relationship with you. The time that you spend with him, the time that you give him, he considers it precious because of his love for you and I and his desire to be in fellowship with you and I. And Moses is a clear example. Exodus 33 verse 11, the Bible says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That was Moses' testimony, that God spoke to him in such an intimate way that the Bible records it as face to face, and the Bible testifies as to God seeing Moses as a friend. Verse Numbers 12, verse 6. This is what God says. Hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. But look at what he says in verse 8. Numbers 12, verse 8. But he says, concerning Moses, I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. That he had a special relationship with Moses. I don't know about you, but when I, read, when I read this, I actually envied Moses. I desired that level of relationship where God can say, this is my friend. That I don't speak to him in any, with any dark sayings. I am clear and plain to, to him. I communicate with him deep things. I share intimate things. I share secrets with him. God wants an intimate relationship with you. Number two, God spoke to Moses. And this is important because the God that we serve is a speaking God. He wants to commune. He wants to communicate. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you primarily from his word, the word that has been written. People say, what is God saying? I say he has said a lot of what he's saying already. He has written it in a book and he has given it to us. 
You can't talk about hearing God in any seemingly mystical way if you haven't spent time in the Word of God. To be a Christian in this day and age, especially with all that is going on, the uncertainty around, and not to be a student of the Word of God is to set one's, oneself up, sadly, for a fall. God has spoken, and what He spoke has been written for us in the book, the Bible. And that book has been given to us. And it is in our interest to hear what God has said. And we hear what God has said by dedicating ourselves as students of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17 tells us concerning that Word of God. It says, every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. There is nothing in the Bible that did not come from God, was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every scripture, even the one that you and I might think is not so important, it is not so important because you don't need it. When you need it and the Spirit of God breathes upon it, and brings it to life for you, you suddenly realize how important that script, those scriptures are. You know, there are certain scriptures that I always wondered what they were. We, yeah, I kind of got it in a, in, a, in a mental sense. But when you think about the, the scriptures that have the genealogy of Christ, but then when you, when you need some certainty, when you're in a shaky place, when you're praying for something, believing for something, and God causes that scripture to come alive to show you by the genealogy of Christ that this Christ that is bringing this word to you, this is his history. This is where he came from. This is how long I've been planning for him. This is where I started. It suddenly makes where you are, it puts it in perspective that if God could have started planning this from, from before the world and is documented for us as soon as he starts to bring it to pass in this world, surely he can deal with your situation and your circumstance. Every scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This, this, the Bible goes on to say, it will empower you, this is the Passion Translation, it will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you into deeper into the path of godliness. That's what Scripture does, empowers you, points you in the right direction, leads you deeper into godliness. And then it goes on to say, then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God has given you. The immaturity in the church today is because the church thinks Bible study is something they can do without. You know, at Jesus' house, we have Bible study on Mondays. And thank God for the 150-odd people who show up. But then there are many more people in Jesus' house. That's an opportunity for you to study the Bible, to prepare yourself, to receive instruction, the Word of God. But then God will also speak by His Spirit, by the nudging of the Spirit, by the prompting of the Spirit, by a restraint of the Spirit, and critically, as Elijah find, found out, by the still small voice of the Spirit. God is a speaking God. 
if you don't have a relationship where God is speaking to you, then you should desire it. It's an abnormality. No father goes without not talking to his children. God is speaking. You want to hear God. Ask the Spirit of God to help you to start to hear God. Start with the reading, studying, and meditating of the Word of God. Number three. His face glowed. His face shone. His face radiated. He was reflecting the glory of God. The result of deep fellowship with God is that you will reflect the glory of God. It will be obvious that God has put a mark on you. Some honor, some distinction rests on you. And it comes from that level of deep fellowship with God. It is the glory of God. What they saw was the glory of God. And the glory of God is transferred from those who can spend time, intimate, precious time with God. And there's a transference of that glory, that mark, that distinction, that honor, that thing that separates one person from, from the others. Because Moses was so obviously different when he came down. And it's the same way that when the glory of God rests upon you, you are so obviously different. doesn't mean that you don't face life's challenges, but you face life's challenges with that honor, that mark, that distinction, the glory of God upon you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the third chapter and the 18th verse, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. The veil is removed from our faces. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. So you and I can draw closely, can draw close to him. And the closer we come, the more we get a reflection on ourselves of him. The Bible says, the glory of the Lord Jesus. And then the Bible goes on to say this critically. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How do we change? And this is the difference between religion and a relationship. You see, if I am in religion, then all I have to do is tick certain boxes. I have to attend. I have to uh, do what they say. You know, I have to obey the rules and the regulation. But I don't have to move closer to him. I can sit where I am, tick all the man-made rules, and nothing changes in me. There is no transfiguration. There is no transformation because I am not getting closer to him. But when you are in a genuine relationship with Christ, it puts a demand on you that each day you must be one step closer. Each day you are being transfigured. You are moving from glory to glory as you move towards Christ. That's how people's lives are transformed. That's why we see someone who was saved 
And we know the person had a lot of issues. The person had personality issues, anger issues, bitterness issues. Or we see somebody who was saved and the person came with a completely broken heart, a low self-esteem, a, a shattered esteem in some cases. The person is wounded by life circumstances, wounded by what has happened. But then we watch that person being transformed as they move closer and closer from glory to glory. The glory of God comes upon them. It deals with the broken heart. It puts the heart together. The glory of God comes upon them. It delivers them from the anger. It deals with the root of bitterness. And we see someone who we knew was this person as they move from stage to stage, the relationship demands it and pulls them by the Spirit. They are committed to the Word, to worship, to prayer. And right before our eyes, we are watching someone being transformed. At one point, they were in darkness. They started the journey, delivered out of darkness, but they were not glowing. They were not sparkling. There wasn't a twinkle. They were not shining. But as we watch them, as they pursue God, as they continue in that relationship, we start to see a glow come upon them. And the glow gets, the light gets brighter and brighter until at a point it is difficult to ignore because the glory of God is upon them. Isn't that what happened to the disciples in the early church? So much so that those who didn't believe in God testified concerning them. Acts the 4th chapter and the 13th verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Now their lack of education and their lack of training should have been a handicap. But then because they had come into proximity with, with Christ, spent time with the Spirit of God, a transformation had taken place. And unlearned, uneducated men were writing and saying the things that professors today spend their time studying. It could only have been because the glory of God came upon them. The Bible says the people marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. May that be your testimony. That when people see the glory of God upon you, whatever way it expresses itself, they will realize that that is because you have been with Jesus. My heart is healed because I've been with Jesus. I no longer suffer from a low esteem because I've been with Jesus. I no longer have to deal with anger because I've been with Jesus. I've been delivered from immoral thoughts because I've been with Jesus. When I come close to Jesus, whatever is not of Jesus must drop off me because it can't stay in that proximity to Jesus. Number four. He reveals his covenant to those who come close to him. He reveals the, the inner dimensions of his promises to those who come close to him. The Bible testifies about Moses, Psalms 103 verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Now, a lot of the church are like the children of Israel. The acts of God, they know. That's why people get excited 
when they see a demonstration of God's power. If people are being slain and their manifestations, people get very excited. But not Moses. He got excited, yes. He also understood that these are just the acts of God. God, I want to know you deeper. I want to know your ways. I want to know how you think. I want to know, I want to know how you move. I want to know you deeply. That was Moses' desire. He wasn't just interested in the things that people were interest, are interested in. You know, people get interested in a, in a lot of the, the happenings. But Moses says, no, I want to know you, the person God. He knew his ways. The Bible says in Psalms 25 verse 14, it says, and this is the Passion Translation, one of my favorite scriptures as you, you guys have figured out. It says, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. Oh, God of mercy. I love this scripture. That there is a private place. It's not public. It's not for everybody. Everybody who's saved will go to heaven. But not everybody will find themselves in that private place that has a reserved sign on every seat there. It is reserved. And who is it reserved for? It is reserved for the lovers of God, for those who are committed to the pursuit of God, for those who will wake up and hunger and thirst for God, for those who will make God their priority, for those who will just spend an hour 30 minutes just sitting with the Holy Spirit. For those who have the spirit of Mary upon them that will sit down and gaze at Jesus. For those who are hungry to unearth the deeper dimensions of the word of God. For those who desire to be taken on a journey by the spirit of God. They are called the lovers of God. And that private place, and please note the word private. It is a, the exact opposite of public. Not everybody is going to go in there. That private place that is reserved for those people, those lovers of God. And what do they do there? The Bible says they sit near him. Like Moses. They sit near him. So you find for these lovers of God, sometimes they are fasting and you say to them, what are you fasting about? And they say, I'm just fasting to get closer to God. Isn't that amazing? What are you praying about? I'm just praying seeking God. These lovers of God. And because of their pursuit, because they seek him while he, while, as the Bible says, while, he's still, while he can still be found, because they make God their priority, God says to them, come near and sit, come and sit near me. And then, critically, he whispers the revelation secrets of his promises. Oh God. You know, <laughs> there are dimensions to the word of God. It's in layers. That's what revelation is about. So, the closer you are to God, the more he takes you deeper and deeper into the same word. You know, God is not writing another Bible. So, obviously, the author of the Bible 
Since we are reading the same book, it starts in Genesis, ends in Revelations, and most people have read it cover to cover. So how can we keep reading the same book over and over again? Because the author of the book says to you, let me show you something that we haven't shown, show, we haven't shown other people. Let me take you deeper. Let me tell you what was on the mind of the Father. Let me reveal this word to you so that it settles in your heart. I pray you will become one of those lovers of God, that he can reveal what the Bible calls revelation secrets of his promises to you. Number five, this requires time. In an age where there are so many competing demands on our time, a lot of people are not able to pay the price to give quality time to spending it with God. It requires time. It doesn't happen overnight. It is not, there's no overnight success in this thing. It is that someone has applied themselves, have set themselves a target, ha have some sort of timetable, have carved time away, have created sacred spaces and sacred moments where they spend with God. And as they do that, listen, for Moses it was 40 days and 40 nights. That is a long time to stay on a mountain. But he was determined to give the, re the, the, the required time so that he could press into God. My sister, my brother, it requires time. When this becomes your priority, you rearrange your life around it. You sleep earlier so you, can you, so you can wake up earlier. When the world is quiet, you can spend time with him. You create time. So, of course, there's time to bring our requests to him. But if that's all you do, then you haven't started the journey yet. You create time just to be there with him. I'm here with you. That's what the Bible calls waiting on you. I am waiting on you. You go away, not because you necessarily want to pray about something. That's good. But you go away so that you can shut the volume of the world down, so that you can hear God's voice, so that the volume of the world does not drown out God's voice. You send a clear message to heaven that you are priority. You matter. No one else matters like you. You give him the best of your day. You rearrange your life so that you can create quality time for him. It sends a message to him that you have prioritized him. It takes time. But then the prophet Isaiah tells us the outcome of giving that time, that waiting on God. Isaiah 40 verse 30, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lamentations, the third chapter. Jeremiah tells us, Lamentations, the third chapter and the, and the 25th verse. The prophet tells us, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Who wants the Lord to be good to them? God himself says through the prophet, I am good to those who wait for me, to the soul who seeks me. And in his graphic language, the psalmist says this in Psalms 130 verse 6, I long for you more than any watchman 
would long for the morning light. It's a passion translation. I will watch and wait for you, O God, throughout the night. Is it any wonder that he says about the psalmist that the psalmist David was a man after his own heart? David says, just the same way a watchman is looking, waiting for daylight, that's how I wait for you. And he goes on to say, I will wait for you and watch for you throughout the night. These were not just mere words. This was David's lifestyle. Number six. A fasted life, if you really want to press in, as we have described, a fasted life has to be your lifestyle. You're not waiting for the general overseer to call a fast. You're not waiting for the church to call a corporate fast. You are living a fasted life, which means fasting has become a part of your life. That subduing of the flesh, the, so that the voice of the flesh can be, can, can be quelled, so that you can silence the flesh. You, you deprive it of food, so that you weaken it and allow your spirit to soar and have an encounter with the Spirit of God. And it must be a lifestyle. I encourage it as a lifestyle. When Jesus spoke about fasting, he spoke about it in the Sermon on the Mount at the same time as he spoke about praying, literally using the same words. So we can't say as Christians that we pray, but we don't fast. I know the Western church has lost completely this benefit of fasting, but it must come back if we are going to see God's will done and his kingdom come in this nation. In your life, it must be a constant. When he says in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 16 to 18, talking about fasting, he says, moreover, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. It's assumed that you fast. He goes on further to say, but when you fast, anoint your head. It's assumed that you fast. And he goes on to assure us that there is a reward for such fasting. God rewards it. And number seven, as I come to an end. A major critical Necessity is a spirit of humility. It's instructive that Moses didn't know his face was shining. He didn't really know the level of glory that was upon him. I read a quote somewhere that says, It takes a meek and lowly spirit to bear the shining of God. A meek and lowly spirit. Who does Jesus stand up for in heaven? He stands up for, for Stephen as Stephen is being stoned. And what did Stephen have? That humility, that meek and lowly spirit. Against the arrogance of the world, the weapon of humility disarms the arrogance of the world. And it's something that we must practice all the time. There'll be ample opportunity for you to show humility because there's, there, there are enough people who are walking around with pride and arrogance to create examination situations for you to show that there's humility. And you can pray for the Spirit of God to give you hum humility. 
It's a powerful weapon. When we humble ourselves here, God lifts us up. But when we exalt ourselves with pride or arrogance, then God himself resists the proud. My prayer is that you will start to glow, that you will start to shine, that you will start to radiate, that people will see you and there's a glimmer about you and about your life, that the glory of God will rest mightily on your life, that you will carry that, that glory, that, that Shekinah, that presence of God, that you will carry it with you wherever you go that you will benefit from that proximity with God, that he will speak deep secrets into your heart, into your mind, into your spirit, that he will reveal things to you, that you will become a friend of his. He will enjoy coming to fellowship with you. That's my prayer for you as it is my prayer for me. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Help us, Father, by your Spirit. Help us. For if your Spirit doesn't draw us, we can't come. If your Spirit doesn't enable us, then we can't go, Heavenly Father. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and help us. Father, we might sing that we're friends of yours, but Lord, what we, what we desire is for you to say you are a friend of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And if you're out there, you haven't received the gift of salvation that ushers you into a friendship, first as a son, of course, or a daughter, but then deeper, a son or a daughter who has become a friend of the Father. This is an opportunity for you to receive the gift that ushers you into this relationship. And so wherever you are, you want to accept Jesus into your life. You want to start this journey to this relationship. You want to accept him as your Lord and Savior. I'd love to pray with you if you would just say this prayer with me. It's as simple as that. Say, Heavenly Father, I open up my heart. I receive your son Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I give my life to him. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you will help me to turn away from anything that is displeasing to you or to him and to embrace a life of obedience to you. Help me, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. I declare, Father, that as I receive your son, Jesus, I am now a child of yours, born into your family. I have now started that journey to becoming a friend of yours. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Well, if you said that prayer um, on your screen, there's, there's a, a, a box, a cloud um, that says, putting up your hand, you've given your life to Christ. I'd like you to press that now if you said that prayer. Please press that. Uh, for some of you on some of the platforms, it might be a link. Please press that. Press that link. Press that cloud um, in the chat box. Go on, please press it if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, if you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Go on, please press it. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Go on, press it, press it. We just want to celebrate with you. And please follow the instructions. Uh, fill the form. Allow us to resource you as you start this journey to moving from today you've become a son or a daughter, a child of God. 
Uh, you're moving from here to becoming a friend of God. Hallelujah. A child that's a friend of the Father. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Well, today is Thanksgiving Sunday. How many are, are, are just grateful to God, <laughs> really, that it is the 11th month of the year and you are still standing by God's grace? No one can deny that this has been a most challenging year. But guess what? God kept you through January, February, March, April, May, June, and July, August, September, and October. And you have now set your feet this Sunday in November. And may I prophesy and declare and decree concerning your life that the same way that your feet are firmly in November, by the grace of God, your feet will be firmly in January 2021, thanking God. But before we get there, for the 10 months that have brought us to this 11th month, we want to say thank you to God. So will you just bow your heads wherever you are before we go into a celebration of thanksgiving? And from your heart, let heartfelt thanks go up to God. You know, sometimes we forget how much, how, how precious this thanksgiving is to God. So go on, we're not a thankless people. We're saying, Lord, it was tough in January. It was tough in March. Lord, May was, um, was tough. The height of COVID. But Lord, we are thanking you. We are saying thank you. We are saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, for having preserved us and brought us to this point. And we appreciate that some of us have lost loved ones. We accept the sovereignty of God. We don't, we don't rebel against his sovereignty, for nothing can happen without God's permission. So we want to thank God for the lives of loved ones who have passed on in this year, if that's your case. Go on. Just thank God for the time that person was here, for the impact that person had, for the memories that person left. And then thank God for your own life. The reason you're here is because you still have a race to run. Thank God for that race that is ahead. Go on. Go on. Let, let your homes be filled with thanksgiving. Go on. Just express yourself. Say thank you. Go on. Just declare, declare your gratitude to God. God, we are thankful. We are grateful, O oh God. We thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your guidance, O oh God. We thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. The multitude of your mercies, we say thank you, O oh God. We thank you for the things we know, but we thank you for the things that we don't know, Heavenly Father. The many times when you have prevented it, orchestrated it. We thank you. We thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the precious blood of your son Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die on the cross. Thank you for the wonderful gift of salvation. I thank you Heavenly Father for thank him even for the challenges, the difficulties because you know what? Those challenges are working out something good. They are developing character. They are building faith, your faith muscles. So we thank him oh God. The Bible says we thank him for all things and we thank him in all things. Things. So go on, just thank him. Thank him even for the dark nights, the, the moments when you were so afraid, you were lonely, maybe you were filled with sorrow. Go on, just thank him. This is personal. It's daughter to father, son to father. Go on for a minute or two, just thank him. Express yourself. 
go on. And the Bible says that when we speak in tongues, we thank him well. So you might go into your prayer language and just begin to thank him in your prayer language. Go on. Lift your voice. Go on. Let the heavens know that there is a daughter or a son who is grateful, grateful. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We give you praise. We exalt you. We magnify your name. Our soon and coming king, we thank you. The fountain of life, we thank you. The fountain of mercies, we thank you. Oh, we bless your name, O oh God. Father, we will thank you from everlasting to everlasting. We lift our voices, O oh God, with gratitude in our hearts. Our hearts overflow with thanksgiving, O oh God. We remember specific instances. Who, you, who, who brought us through, Father, it was you. Who saw us through, it was you. Who held our hands, it was you. Who intervened, it was you. Who turned it around, it was you. Who poured out grace, it was you. Who closed the door, it was you. Who opened that door, it was you. Who sustained us, it was you. Father, we say thank you, Heavenly Father. We bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, in Jesus' name, may our hearts continue, Father, to overflow with gratitude to you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.